I started Matthew chapter 4, looking at the first temptation of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a temptation uh, to abuse his deity, if you will, and uh, supply for himself and his humanity in a way that uh, was not appropriate or proper. And he, of course, resisted that temptation uh, through the word. Then on New Year's Eve, I looked at the second temptation. Uh, this one was to prove that he, in fact, was the Son of God uh, by casting himself down. And uh, we looked at that temptation. So this morning, I decided to look at the third temptation. Next week, we will return to a study of the Book of Romans where we were before the Christmas season. But today, I'm going to finish Matthew chapter 4, uh, the uh, third temptation. The theme this morning is that we are to worship and glorify God alone. We are to worship and glorify God alone. Satan tempted Jesus to seek glory from someone other than God. The temptation to seek glory from some source other than God. This temptation is quite different from the previous two temptations. First, it should be noted that the words, if you are the son of God, is not found in the third temptation. First temptation, if you are the son of God, turn these stone uh, into bread. Second temptation, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down from here. Third temptation, no mention about Jesus being the son of God. For it would have made no sense. It would have made no sense to appeal to him as the son of God and then tell him to bow down and to worship Satan. So that is omitted for a good reason. If you notice the temptation, it's found in verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Again, that makes no sense if he would have referred to him as the son of God. No, the temptation is of a different nature. Now, Satan is going to tempt Jesus in the area of his sonship. In the area of his sonship, perhaps Satan is hoping that Jesus will lose sight of who he is as the son of God. As a son of God, Christ is going to inherit all things from the Father. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 states long ago and at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now these words, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So here is Christ, who is the creator of all things, who has dominion over all things, and who is one day going to inherit all things. And the evil one says to me, I'll give you this if you will fall down and worship me. All of these things Christ would in fact possess. In the book of Philippians, it says, therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Christ, and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, 
that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So that, of course, includes the evil one. That includes Satan himself. Christ isn't going to be bowing to Satan. Satan is going to be bowing to him. But not yet. But not yet. That is still future. Now, in a much lesser sense, we might very well be tempted to forget who and what we are. We wonder sometimes if these temptations have any real significance for Jesus or were they just like water rolling off a duck's back. But as we think about this temptation, we too are going to have an inheritance. We just sang a song that said, we are who you say we are. We are going to have a place at his table. We are going to have a place in his presence. We are going to be forgiven. We are going to be kings of kings and we are going to reign with Christ. First Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, that's reserved in heaven for you. We have this great inheritance. An inheritance that we actually share as a result of being made a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, excuse me, I, I, I had the wrong reference there. Romans chapter 8, that says we are heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We might forget who we are. We might forget what is ours. And I think the temptation here was for Jesus to forget what he was going to have. Or at least that's what Satan wanted him to do. So he said, uh, bow down and worship me. I will give all these things to you. And of course, Jesus' response was, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's important for us to remember who we are. But I think the temptation goes a little more than just simply uh, hoping that he's going to forget who he is. Perhaps Satan is tempting Jesus to take the easy way out of possessing his glory. To take the easy way out of possessing his glory. Christ is going to be exalted by the Father as a result of Jesus' humble submission and obedient death. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the exaltation in his humanity is going to come because of his humility, of being completely obedient to the mind and will of the Father, being willing to suffer 
and to die on the cross. Satan is offering him a way to glory that is crossless, that doesn't have the pain and the suffering that is associated with it. Christ is being offered a glory without hardship and suffering. Again, was Satan offering something to Jesus that was a real temptation? We could debate as to whether or not it was within Satan's power to deliver, uh, to give these things. I don't think it was. I think he was lying at this point. But nonetheless, would it have been a temptation for Jesus to forego suffering? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, In the days of his flesh, that's referring to Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to turn to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And he made perfect and became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He cried out with tears that it was hard and it was difficult. He asked for the Father's help. And even though he was a son, it says he learned obedience through what he suffered. He was instructed in obedience. Satan is hoping that glory without suffering is going to be very appealing to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Who for the joy that was set before him, knowing the joy on the other side of the cross, knowing that he was going to be with the Father, knowing that he was going to inherit all things, knowing that he was going to achieve eternal salvation for us. He had joy. But he despised the shame. He despised the shame. The ridicule. The mockery. The placing of a crown of thorn on his head. The taunting. If you are the Son of God, come down from there. When he hung upon the cross. Isaiah 53 describes it and it says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus is hearing the evil one say, you don't need to do all that. You don't need to experience that suffering. You don't need to experience that humiliation. You don't need to experience that degradation. You don't need to be spit upon. You don't need to be bitten, beaten, 
You don't need to be mocked. You don't need to be taunted. Just bow your knee to me. And I'll give you the glory of all these things. We too are tempted to seek glory, honor, and prestige. Prominence from some source other than God. There's nothing wrong in seeking glory. But there's everything wrong in seeking glory from anything or anyone other than God. To seek the honor and approval of men more than the honor and approval of God. To take more delight in getting our friends' approval than God's approval. To work harder at achieving recognition from others as opposed to seeking the glory that comes from God. To so love the praise of men that we disregard the praise of God. It says of the Pharisees this, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from God, excuse me, for they loved the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. That was the temptation. To love the glory and praise that can come from men more than the glory and the praise that would come from God. To not go through the hardship, not go through the difficulty. We should seek the honor and glory of God more than the honor and glory of men. The well done, thou good and faithful servant. A heavenly crown more precious than any earthly metal. You know, the practical application is this. Whose approval do you desire the most? Whose acceptance is of the greatest value to you? Who do you want to please? Paul says of the Corinthians who were finding fault with his ministry, who said that his letters are powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. He said this, This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and to those who entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Paul says, I could care less whether you accept what I have to say based on my person. I don't care if you look at me as a fool. I don't care if you look at me and you say, well, he's weak. I don't care. He said, my conscience is clear. But that doesn't come because I'm innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and all expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Paul said, I don't care what you think. I care what God thinks. And I don't care about gaining your approval now. I want to gain God's approval then. And that's what motivated him. Jesus said, be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But there's a second part of this temptation, and I think that it is the greater 
part and the one that I want to spend the most time on. And that is the temptation was for Jesus to seek glory for himself alone as opposed to seeking glory for the Father's sake. To seek glory for himself alone as opposed to seeking glory for the Father's sake. The temptation is you can have all this glory, but it will be at the expense of God the Father. You can have all this glory if you worship me as opposed to submitting to God the Father. And why I believe that is the greatest temptation is because I believe that's the greatest temptation for mankind. And that is wanting to receive glory for ourselves more than a desire to see glory be given to our Father. Now let me unpack that for a moment. It starts with Satan. It starts with Satan himself. Satan himself was interested in receiving glory. He wanted the very glory that belonged solely to God. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 14, there is a personification of the evil one. It's a story of, of a evil king, but it illustrates what went on in the mind of Satan himself. Listen to the words, Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in my heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That was Satan's ambition. I am going to be like God. I'm going to be in the place of God. I'm going to rebel against God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to receive all the glory that comes as a result. And so, here is this wonderful opportunity for Satan to receive exactly what he wants, the glory that belongs only to God, to say to the Son of God, I will give you all this if you will just bow your knee to me and worship me. Satan was tempting Jesus to seek glory for himself apart from seeking that glory to the honor and glory of God. Jesus well understood that his mission was to bring honor and glory to God the Father. John chapter 12, it says this, as Jesus begins contemplating his death, this is days before but as Jesus is contemplating his death, he says this, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? 
But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He realized that the purpose that he had come into this earth was to die on the cross for our sins. What should I say? Deliver me from this? This is why I came. Glorify your name. Jesus was most concerned in going to the cross that he would glorify God the Father. That was the supreme and ultimate motivation for God. Uh, excuse me, for, for Jesus. That's why his, his sacrifice was so, so precious. For we are to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And he so loved his Father that what he wanted most from going to the cross was that the Father would be glorified. Secondly, closely related, Jesus understood that Jesus would be glorified so that he would be able to, glory, to glorify and honor the Father. Jesus realized that glory would come to him. But he was going to use the glory that came to him to glorify the Father. So listen to John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The, the time has come. This time of crucifixion is now here. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Bring glory to me so I can bring glory to you. He meant that. That was real. And he knew that in bowing to Satan, he was going to dishonor the Father. We should seek glory for the purpose of glorifying the triune God and not ourselves. Nothing wrong with seeking glory as long as we seek it from the right source and we seek it for the right reason. And we're to seek glory so that the Father can be glorified. Now there's two wonderful negative examples in the scripture. One of them concerning Baruch. Baruch is the secretary to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is in prison. And Baruch has to take the letter of Jeremiah to uh, the king. And it's not going to go well for Baruch when he does that, and he feels a little chagrined. In Jeremiah 45, 1, it says this. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. Baruch said, this is tough. This is tough. You've added sorrow to my pain. I'm weary. I'm groaning. I don't want to do this. Thus you will say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold what I have built, I am breaking down. 
What I am planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. You want honor and prestige and glory for yourself? You want great things for yourself? Don't seek that. He says, I'm going to destroy all this. All this is going to come to mean nothing. Baruch, you won't care less about these days in just a little time. Keep your eye on the ball. Don't seek great things for yourself. Seek them for God. In the book of Daniel, there's a king, Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, he's the king of Babylon. And Babylon was such a powerful and beautiful and, and incredible nation. And if you remember your high school history, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world were the hanging gardens of Babylon. That's in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Beautiful, beautiful city. And uh, this king came pretty full of himself. And it reads in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he, that is Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal radiance and for the glory of my majesty? He looked at this and said, Who built this? I did. And I built it for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. I've just taken it out, out of your hands. Now, if you remember the, the story in the book of, of Daniel, he goes insane. He goes out and starts living like an animal and eating grass and everything else until God has humbled him. And then it says, at the same time my reason turned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I can never, can never praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. No longer did he view this for his sake. He said, now I honor and exalt the king of heaven. We are to seek honor and glory from God for the purpose of honoring and glorifying God. In the book of Deuteronomy, where this temptation is answered from, the uh, introduction to it says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great good cities that you did not build, houses full of evil of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Remember where these things have come from. As we think about this passage, we are to live to the honor and glory of God. Our call to worship 
was 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's such an easy verse to cite, and it's such an easy thing to say, that we live our lives to the honor and glory of God. But let me, in application this morning, just go through a number of ways in which that is lived out very practically. What does it mean to live for the glory of God in everything that we do? Well, here are just some of the examples in Scripture. First, we are to live to the glory of God in our sexual conduct. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The temptation is to say, this is my body, and I can do with it whatever I want. The temptation is to say, I want to do what pleases me. I want to do what feels good. I want to do what I want to do. And I want to experience whatever pleasure or whatever joy or whatever it is I think that I can get out of my sexual immorality. But you are to glorify God in your body. That's the ultimate reason. That's why you abstain from sex. It's not so that you don't get pregnant. It's not so that there's not a stigma on your reputation by men. The reason you resist sexual immorality, adultery, the reason you are faithful in your marriage is you want to bring glory to God. And any other reason is idolatry. Glory to God. We're to bring God glory in our giving. In Philippians, Paul writes, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul writes to this church and says, you're to be praised. You have done what no other church has done in giving and caring for me. And then he goes on to say, and God will care for you. God will provide for you. One of the ways that we glorify God in our giving is to believe that God will provide. And God will give me what I need. Therefore, I can tithe. Therefore, I can give because I trust my God. And I honor him by trusting him. But notice the next verse. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. As Paul is writing about this giving, he says that it would bring glory to God forever and ever. We're to live for God in the exercise of our spiritual gifts. First Peter, 
as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified. When you use your spiritual gifts, acknowledge God's grace in these things. Acknowledge that these gifts come from God, that he would be glorified. Don't take credit for yourself. Give the credit and glory to God. God has given you this gift. God has given you this talent so that God would be glorified. Where does the musical ability come from that you were born with? That good mind that you have and you're able to excel in school. Those good looks that you pride yourself in. That athletic ability in which you're able to do so much more than those around you. Where does that come from? Who deserves the glory? But do we reserve it for ourselves? Do we seek that glory to empower ourselves? Or do we seek glory in order to bring honor and glory to God? We're to give the glory to God in everything that we excel in. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you be puffed up in favor over one another, that you don't become proud. For who sees anything different in you? What did you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He says, who made you to be different? Who gave you the abilities that you have? They come from God. Therefore, glorify God. Excel to the honor and the glory of God. Again, that's easy to say. Well, let's follow a more recent example. There is a wonderful example of one who excelled in order to bring honor and glory to God in the person of Eric Little. You may or may not know his story, but keep in mind it's a true story. A movie was made in 1981 chronicling his life and it was entitled Chariots of Fire. Just out of curiosity, how many people know the story of Chariots of Fire and Eric Little? Would you raise your hand good and high? Okay, I'd say about a quarter to a half. So here's the story, true story. Eric Little was a devout Scottish Christian born to missionary parents in China. He was born again and he believed that God's ultimate purpose for him was to be a missionary in China. And he said, as he thought and contemplated of the timing of going to China. He said, God made me for a purpose. He made me a missionary to China. But God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He said, this God also made me fast. 
And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And Eric Little sought to run to the honor and glory of God. And so he postponed his plans to return to China as a missionary in order to participate in the 1924 Summer Olympics in France. When Eric Little arrived in France, he discovered that the heats for the 100 meter, which was his favored race, and which he was anticipated and expected to win a gold medal, were held on Sunday. And for Eric Little, he was faced with a dilemma. His question was, how can I best honor and glorify God? What would bring the greatest glory to God? Would it be running and achieving the gold medal? Or would it be in honoring my convictions and not running on the Lord's Day on Sunday? Eric Little decided that the greatest way that he could bring honor and glory to God was not to run. Not to participate. To abstain from competing on the Lord's Day. That would bring the greatest honor and glory to God. For that is why he really wanted to run. He wanted to run to bring honor and glory to God, not himself. He was also a participant in the 400. The 400 meters he could participate in because they were not being held on a Sunday. But he was, he was a sprinter. And he was fast. But he didn't have endurance. And it was not anticipated that he would do very well in the 400. And historically, he didn't. But he participated in the 400 and he won the gold medal. And he honored and glorified God for the unique endurance that he had that day. And acknowledged that God had strengthened him. My point to you is when he said, I'm running to the glory of God, he meant it. And when we say, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, if we do it to the glory of God, we should mean it. And the best way to demonstrate that honor and glory to God is worshiping him and him alone. Desiring his praise more than any other realizing it comes through a life of sacrifice, of humility, of saying yes to God's word and no to our own desires. In every area of life, we went through them sexually, financially, and on and on and on. The temptation for us is not to live to the honor and glory of God alone.
May we learn from Christ. May we learn from his example. Once again, he quoted scripture. It is written. The greatest reminder for us to live to the honor and glory of God is the time we spend in the word of God. For we get that perspective nowhere else. We get that understanding nowhere else. It's in the word of God alone that we're reminded of who he is, what he has done for us. And that it is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Whatever spiritual gift I have, it comes from him. Whatever ability and talent, it comes from him. And is to be used to bring him honor and glory. Jesus says to the evil one, be gone. And he left him. For he truly was the son of God. Satan had no power over him. And Satan could offer him nothing. And so he dismissed him and said, away with you. He had to leave. The very first question in the Westminster Confession, and I think many people know it, so let me ask it and then you, you answer it. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the first question. That's the greatest issue in life. What is the chief purpose of our lives? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And boy, that's where we really enjoy him, when we glorify him. So, I have three questions for you to ask of yourselves in conclusion. Three very, very simple questions, but I would really ask you to take them to heart. The first is, what do you want out of life? What is your great ambition? What is your great goal? Why are you here? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? What do you want to have achieved when life is over? What? is the greatest thing that you want out of life. Question number two, how are you going to go about achieving it? What are you going to do to gain whatever it is that you want to gain it from? Where is that help going to come from? How, how is that process going to look like? Where does God fit into the picture of all that? How are you going to achieve what it is you want to achieve? And then lastly, why do you want it? Why do you want it? What do you want out of life? How are you going to go about achieving it? And why do you want it? And I would submit to you that the answer of the world and the answer of the true child of God is quite different. What do we want out of life? To honor and glorify God. How are we going to achieve that? By His grace. Submitting to His word beseeching him for his help. And why do you want it? Well, that's the greatest gift that we can give to God. We talked about crowns and receiving a crown. You know what you're going to do with your crowns in heaven? Cast them at his feet. 
when we are in heaven and we're given the crowns, we cast them at his feet. We say, no, you deserve this. You produced this. It wasn't me. Let's get into practice now. Let us today constantly be casting our crowns at his feet, constantly giving whatever praise and glory we receive to the one who truly deserves it. Who makes us different? Who makes us faithful? Who gives us the ability, the power to achieve what we achieve? It's God. And may we strive, may we work, may we want to be exalted and praised so that we can give him even more honor and glory and praise and resist the temptation of the evil one. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his resistance, not to seek glory for himself, but to seek glory for the Father, not to seek an easy way out, but to be willing to suffer in all doing so that the Father would be glorified. Lord, as we look for motivation, as we look for reason to live a, a godly and holy life, may we look no further than in a desire to bring honor and glory to you. That's why we should live holy and godly lives. Lord, may we honor you in our sexual conduct. May we honor you in our giving. May we honor you in the exercise of our gifts and our talents. May we honor you in our relationships. May we honor you when people oppose us and say all matter of evil against us. May we glorify you in our good deeds. That they may see in you, us, Christ at work. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.